bringing you news where environment and social justice issues intersect. Today's show was produced on the lands of the Bundjalung Nation in Lismore as it recovers from devastating floods. The show is facilitated by Radio 3CR in Nam, known as Melbourne, and broadcast across these stolen lands via the Community Radio Network. I'm Beck Horridge. Oh, for me, the big realisation is that the government aren't coming to save us after these sort of events and that we need to um, look after ourselves as community. Yeah, we can't rely on the government to come and help us. Dee Mould, speaking from Bundjalung country in Lismore. Today we'll hear how she rescued herself from the terrifying Lismore floods and other people and now is still helping people mend and insulate their flood-damaged houses in the chilly, wet Lismore winter. I'm Dee. I'm a 50-something-year-old trans woman. Moved to Lismore a year ago for work. Been doing, um, you know, working with kids, working with kids with disability. And I've lived here for just over a year. I guess a lot of people identify me as a climate activist. I was in the Laird Forest for a little over two years, hosing um, the Whitehaven coal mine. Yeah, I've opposed forestry a little bit recently and some other mining projects. Let's do a tour. Let's go from the front then, eh? So the water level was about two steps down from the front door, which is, I don't know, eight feet from the floor level. So there was a fair amount of water in that was with it receding. So all of this, the house went underwater at the front because the house leans a bit just below the ceiling in the front but to the ceiling in the back. So this was all completely underwater. When we came in, we had to kick the front door in. And if you imagine um, the house filling up with water, so everything floating around, smashing walls, and then as the water receded, the water pressure dropped outside. But it was slower to drop inside, so all the windows burst outwards. So all the windows were broken. Everything was covered in mud, sewage, and God knows what. So everything had just churned around and was destroyed. So we ripped all the wall linings out, every single wall lining except this one. This is the original wall lining, so it's a different type stuff and it's actually survived um, but apart from that we completely gutted the house and then started relining the house and we've got the two rooms behind me sort of finished that you just saw a bedroom and we're in here at the moment replacing the ceiling safe with you as well like if i was being interviewed by the telegraph i'd be very scared did you see the scott morrison action where we took our flood rubbish to his house did you see that we got a lot of flood rubbish from in our house and we loaded it on a truck and we drove to kickabilly house and we threw it outside scott morrison's gate there was a lot of media attention so i think they knew something was going to happen so we was met by a lot of police who attempted to stop us so we wasn't able to actually tip the whole tipper truck of rubbish outside his house because the police stopped us. So we took it off of the truck 
and dragged it down the street piece at a time and put it outside his gate. And, um, yeah. Do you just want to itemise the rubbish a little bit? Give us the idea of exactly what was in the heap. So, um, like, I've slipped into calling it flood rubbish, but um, it, I, I try not to call it flood rubbish because it actually wasn't rubbish. Um, people don't cry when rubbish gets taken away. It was actually the remains of our old lives. Well, when the police stopped us, I found myself on top of the truck and I remember shouting at them, that's our kitchen cupboard, that's our rug, and listing some items that were our personal items. And then there was um, our neighbours' items, other people from town we approached and asked if they'd mind us taking some of their destroyed belongings and throwing it outside Scott Morrison's house. Most people were, you know, nobody said no. Everybody was absolutely delighted. For me, Scott Morrison addressed our actions twice in speeches, I think, the following day. He said that we weaponised our trauma and um, I think also weaponised the natural disaster. But, you know, I don't really accept the flood as a natural disaster. I know a flood appears to be a natural event, but I think these events are definitely being um, turbocharged by climate change. And I do hold... Um, Scott Morrison and a lot of his colleagues responsible for fueling climate change. So, um, yeah, I think it was a very valid action and um, I was really happy to be part of that. That was pretty good. It was, um, it felt really, um, it was super empowering because it was, I think it was about a week after Scott Morrison came here. And when Scott Morrison came here, in my opinion, he, it was a, uh, like he used it as a photo opportunity, so he went to places where he knew he had sympathy and safety. You know, I don't mean safety. You know, where, where people were sympathetic to his views, and um, local people tried really hard to talk to him, and was not able to talk to him. So, to be able to go there and go outside his home, show him our rubbish, show him the mud, felt. You know, it felt right. It felt it felt empowering. So um, I know he heard us, and um, the me- the media as a result of that was, you know, we got a lot of media attention. So I think we managed to get our message out, and um, yeah, I think it was a complete success. The flood stuff's a bit harder to discuss, but it's two and a half months down the line now. So, and what was the main message for Scott Morrison there? What was the meme? Uh, <laughs> for me, um, yeah, for me, it was, um, you know, as a group, we did decide on a main message. I feel like I can't remember it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, you know, how it goes. for me. Yeah, go on, for you. For me, yeah. the, the primary message I was trying to give Scott Morrison was that um, his inaction on climate change um, and his profiting and his his, him and his government, his ex-government's um, desire to sit in bed with the fossil fuel industry cost the lives of people in my town, you know. That, that was a climate event and people in this street died. So my message was, Scott Morrison, your climate inaction killed my neighbour. Um, other people maybe thought that message was too strong I think, for me, that was what I wanted to tell him. You know, there's a lot of talk around um, how many people died in Lismore. 
my understanding is that four people died. In five people died, four four in the first flood, one in the second flood. Since the flood, I've heard lots of um, unfounded rumours about the number of deaths, and uh, you know about the authorities withholding the numbers of deaths. My understanding is that four people died in Lismore on the day of the flood. Um, you know, why is that not enough? Why do we have to sensationalise that? Four people drowned in our town in a in an, a climate event in one day. You know, I think that's that's enough. That only that amount of people died is a pure testament to the strength of the community in this town. This town rescued itself with minimal assistance from the government, from the authorities. You know, I heard the mayor myself say he credited the community who turned out in boats with 4,000 rescues. Um, if the community hadn't been able to do that, then I dread to think how many people would have died. You know, the government response afterwards, like hearing and seeing the things they were saying, there was times when um, they was claiming there was thousands of troops here and there, there just wasn't. They were saying that they was providing motorhome accommodation for people. I wasn't able to access any of that and I did try. The troops weren't here for a substantial amount of time after the flood. Um, I couldn't get a motorhome. Yeah, I, I haven't had too much support off of the government. I've had, you know, I've had a couple of thousand dollars, um, which has kept me, you know, which has helped, but um, it's the tip of the iceberg for families that have lost literally everything. We lost, I lost everything except a suitcase full of clothes and my car. To come back from that on a couple of thousand dollars is not easy. I'm coming back from the flood on the on the support and strength of my community, the community in Lismore and my personal contacts are the people who have supported me and enabled me to start coming back from it. The community fed us after the event. The community housed us after the, the event. People was pulling up, you know, private people, not organisations, were pulling up outside our house with food they'd cooked, giving us food, giving us bottled water. Yeah, I didn't get too much off of the government. The Red Cross had an aid station. They set an aid station up. That was a big help. There was coffee there. Um, just about every um, coffee company in Lismore, every barista was on street corners giving out free coffee. There was more free curry than you could shake a stick out. There was people handing out food. There's a lot of renters in Lismore that have just had to walk away from rentals that landlords aren't equipped or able to fix i don't know where everyone's gone eh? so in our street now i think there's about four houses with people living in them this is one of them so i don't know where the street's gone you know it's like everyone's moved on there's a lot of em empty houses there's still a lot of totally destroyed houses some people who had been door knocking told me yesterday that they were still coming across people who hadn't really accessed any support and were struggling on their own I think it's two and a half months since the flood. Things have improved a lot. And, um, you know, I'm a bit desensitized to it. My situation is substantially better than it was immediately after the flood. So I feel pretty comfortable. I feel feel sort of safe. Although, I don't, you know, I don't like it too much when it rains. It's, you know, it's been raining a lot. I'm aware of river levels and things. And I have a boat in the front garden now. Mm. Did we talk about the um, rescue operations yet? Not really. What, what happened for you at the time? 
for us. I was receiving text messages on my phone. It was my first flood in Lismore. So um, I was following the situation as well as I could. And the SES started sending out um, blanket text messages to tell you, you know, the last one I saw told me to leave by 5 a.m. And um, so I was going to sleep in our room, in the next room. And I'd set an early alarm. I'd set an alarm for 4 a.m. My plan was to get up and um, assess, you know, and see what was going on and leave. They'd told me to leave at 5 a.m. And that's the story most of the people in our street would probably tell you. But the difference is at about half past 10, the rain was, it was like biblical rain. I haven't seen rain like that. And um, we decided to leave early. So we left on the Sunday night about 11 o'clock and we stayed two or three k's that way um, at a friend's and then woke up at dawn I guess 5, 6am and you could just hear a disaster going on around you like you know, when I say woke up we didn't exactly sleep soundly but when we got out of bed you just you could hear a disaster going on so a guy said that he was going to go and have a look and I said hey don't go on your own I'll, I'll come with you that's all right. Keep going. Yeah. And um, so we went down to what had turned into the water's edge. Naomi said to me, don't be long. I was like, yeah, well, I'd only plan to go and have a look. I was just going to go and be nosy. And um, there was boats pulling up on the shoreline with people coming out. And, um, you know, a lot of old people... A lot of people that uh, a lot of people were bleeding from similar wounds, wounds to their legs, where they'd come out through broken windows, I think. And um, a lot of very cold people, a lot of confused elderly people. And I started helping those people out of the boats and taking them to a house where that was looking after them. And um, yeah, and then a guy after about probably an hour, hour and a half of that, a guy launched a tinny and he asked if anyone wanted to help so I jumped in and we went out on the water and started cruising around town in you know water up to the roofs and someone had told us that people were dying in the roofs This is Earth Matters bringing you news of the changing environment and the resulting hits to social justice to demold with insights on community and recovery from flood-ravaged Lismore in New South Wales, Australia. We're up to the roofs and someone had told us that people were dying in their roofs because they was following, they was going up and then getting stuck in the roof cavity. So we cruised around for a while shouting and listening to see if we could find anyone in roofs. And then we found a couple of guys... Um, like in their house, we had to take the boat in between the houses into the back garden, but we'd heard shouting. So we found a guy in his house. And, um, like I, you know, I think he'd given up a bit and his house was pretty much underwater and we pulled him out through his window, pulled his dogs out through his window. And he said there was another guy around the back, so we went round and we got that guy out. We took them back to shore and then we probably spent five hours in really stupid rain just going around looking for people as we could find them taking them back to the shore and um, 
you know, you're talking about a scene that, um, you know, you had to you had to be on it to understand what it was like. There was it was still town. I was struggling to work out where I was most of the time. But there were shipping containers floating around. There was power lines everywhere. Um, I think the scariest stuff for me were the servos because the fuel had come out of the tanks of the servos. And I don't mean there was a bit of a smell of fuel. It just felt like you was on a boat on fuel. On fuel, the smell was so hard. Um, there was random... Just everything. Lismore was just floating around, you know? Um, yeah, everything you can imagine just floating around. What? And um, ducking under power lines, going through the canopy of trees, threading your way through trees, shouting out, is anyone there looking for people to, to save? And, you know, we got into town. Town was Town's close to the river, so the flow was quite strong there and um, we couldn't get across the actual main current of the river in the boat we was in we might have got across but we we sort of decided that if we did get across we wouldn't be able to bring anyone back it would be very unsafe so we concentrated on this side but there was guys on uh, jet skis and sea doos and things and they was going across bringing people back across the river from the other side where it was um where it was really bad. They was bringing people back one at a time, putting them in the in the upstairs of one of the hotels, and we took some people from there back to shore. We got off on the canopy of a shop and got some people out through a window. Um, you know, I think um, there was some people who wouldn't leave, which was really bizarre to me. You know, we was in um, seriously deep water with a current and people were saying out of the window, hey, do you think I should leave? And then refusing to leave, they stayed in the building and, you know, the building's still standing. When I go along the street now, I look up at the window and I think, yeah, but the building's still standing, so I'm sure they was fine. There was one family who refused to leave. They had about four or five children with them, little children. We um, cruised up to their house and um, they said they was going to wait for the SES. <laughs> you know, um, I didn't see any SES. I believe there was some on the other side of town in the in the main, you know, in uh, I think it's North, North Lismore, but didn't see any SES over here. And I think that family would have been okay as well because the water was the water was rising really fast. You know, at the beginning of my time on the water, the power most of the power lines were say six or seven feet out of the water, maybe a bit more. When we stopped searching, most of the power lines were under the water, so you was going over them. And um, uh, like being in a boat around power lines, someone told us that um, you know that the power's off, but don't trust that the power's off. So power lines are quite scary, and a in every rain when they're hanging in the water yeah. um, and the shipping containers there was actually houses floating around <laughs> I didn't see a house floating around while I was on the water but I since the flood I've seen houses that have floated off there's, there's one just around the corner off its stumps and there's a substantial amount of houses in South Lismore that have floated away <laughs> What I like talking about is post-traumatic growth. 
<laughs> so we're all talking about post-traumatic stress, which is not a good thing. So post-traumatic growth, that's when and what it what it says, you know, when after trauma you you're you're able to grow and become strong. Like I guess like that the old saying about what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So I'm trying to concentrate on post-traumatic growth, not post-traumatic stress. But um, yeah, it was quite like you know, it was quite few. Like you know, there was like nightmares after the flood and things. Um, yeah, it's okay now. It's pretty much okay. You know, I'm not getting not getting any nightmares. Um, but it was a big thing, eh? Last time someone drowned in the street, mate. <laughs> it's not happened before. Lismore needs a response. I absolutely needs a response. Like I, I, I can swallow. You know, when you look at the flood level, it's a substantially bigger flood. People are like, oh, Lismore always floods. Yeah, Lismore does flood a lot. It floods to sort of eleven and something meters. This was, you know, they. I think they stopped recording. Levels is my understanding at 14 and a half meters. It's a substantially bigger flood than normal. But now we've, you know, now we've seen a flood in living memory of that size. If the town's going to carry on, we need a response to a big flood, not, you know, like an irregular flood. The, the second flood was a big flood compared to what Lismore's had. But our house didn't even, the floor didn't even get wet. The houses have been built to take those floods. They've not been built to take a 14 and a half metre flood. Well, the town needs to have a response in case that happens. You can't have elderly, vulnerable people living in a, in a part of town that can go to um, the roof height in water without a response to deal with those people if that happens, you know? Yeah, you can't, you know, the community, the community will always step up here, I'm sure, but you need an organised, funded response to that, you know? If that's going to be the SES, then they need they need adequate funding. You know, we like, like I, I'm a simple person, you need rescue boats. You need, um, you know, people need to be able to leave if they get caught in a flood. They, they can't just stay here and wait for people to turn up in tinnies, you know? Need a proper government, proper response from the from the powers that be that run the town. Dee Mould talking about her extraordinary experiences and insights drawn from the Lismore floods. Six weeks later, I returned to the Wobbly House to find out about Dee's Insulate Lismore project. Back in the Wobbly House now, and I'm here with Dee Mould who has been on a project called Insulate Lismore. Dee, do tell me more. Okay, so Insulate Lismore started out of me reaching out for 10 free sheets of gyprock. I never got the 10 free sheets of gyprock, but what I did do was tap into a demand of people who needed their houses lining because um, you can't heat a hollow shell of a house. So we started to line some people's houses for free. We started to um, fundraise take donations from building suppliers and we started lining people's houses for them. Um, We've now lined, I think, two rooms in 10 homes, maybe 11 homes. 
So yeah, we've we've come across people living in shells of houses with children sleeping in tents to keep the rats and um, like snakes, as brown snakes in some of the houses. I guess it's winter now, so hopefully the snakes have gone asleep. Um, come across a 77-year-old who was living in a tin shed. That was um, quite com- confronting because it was obviously such a cold situation for such a um, you know a mature person to be living in. Um, yeah, a girl, we've done a house for a young girl with cerebral palsy, so we did two rooms for her family. Um, we've been out to Woodburn, Woodburn and Korokai, we've been doing houses out there. Woodburn and Korokai are downstream of Lismore, so they've probably got hit a lot harder. Um, we're going back to another house down in Korokai tomorrow for an 88-year-old lady who's living on her own. Yeah. Dee, what makes you tick? You're doing all this work for people who really need help to stay warm in the cold weather. What makes you a helper when so many other people aren't? I think it's um, payback for the support I've got from the community in Lismore. Um, And on top of that, it's like, for me, it's probably a bit of a coping mechanism. All the time I work so hard for other people, I don't have to think about my own situation so much. Um, So, yeah pay back the community and um, prevent myself from focusing on my own bad situation. And if people want to chip in, where do they go? We've got a crowdfunder on GoFundMe that is called Insulate Lismore. If somebody can donate a small amount of money to there, it will all go. All the money we raise goes straight into building materials for the families we support. There's no admin charges. There's no paid activists. It's purely built. We get building materials. We put them in people's houses without deduction. So that's where the money goes. Dee Mold, thanks so much for talking with Earth Matters and all the best for this project. I hope we can catch up with you again in the future sometime. Yeah, anytime. Thank you, Beck. You have been listening to Earth Matters. This edition was produced for Radio 3CR in Nam, Melbourne, Wurundjeri country, and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. If you'd like to get in touch with the Earth Matters team, you can email us at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com or visit our Facebook on Earth Matters 3CR Radio. And to listen to or to share editions of Earth Matters, you can find this and all the Earth Matters podcasts at 3cr.org.au forward slash Earth Matters. Look out for more from the Earth Matters team next week. I'm Beck Horridge. In June 2022, Australian group Parature of Desert Ard produced an unusual album called Unbearable Nightmares of Heat and Desertification. Here's the track, Ghosts of Rotting Ecosystems, Haunt Our Refuge. (laughs) 